been reading the autobiography of Theodore Roosevelt. It's very interesting and, and entertaining. Uh, and I read this little tidbit from him. Uh, when he was 13 years old uh, was when he figured out that he needed glasses. He writes, It was this summer, when he was 13 years old, that I got my first gun, and it puzzled me to find that my companions seemed to see things to shoot at which I could not see at all. One day they read aloud an advertisement in huge letters on a distant billboard, and I then realized that something was the matter, for not only was I unable to read the sign, but I could not even see the letters. I spoke of this to my father and soon afterwards got my first pair of spectacles, which literally opened an entirely new world to me. You know, we often take uh, our sight uh, for granted. And it's not until we have eye problems or uh, encounter someone who is blind that we can stop and appreciate uh, our sight. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Bartimaeus, this blind man, and who uh, along the way had his sight restored by Jesus. And if we look at this in the context of the book of Mark, uh, we see that it fits into the structure of the book of Mark in a very interesting way. And I believe in an intentional way, by, if not by Mark, then uh, I'm going to chalk that up to God's divine inspiration and his creativity. And not only giving Mark the words to tell us what we need to know, but also organizing this information in a way that makes a point to the reader. Today's text tells us of the healing of Bartimaeus, and it's the last healing recorded in the book of Mark. Now, there's another healing of a blind man a few chapters, a couple of chapters before in chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. In that healing, in that healing of a blind man, Jesus heals that man in stages. Uh, he uh, first sees unclearly, and he says that people are, look like trees walking around. And then Jesus lays his hands on the man again, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, between that healing and the healing we're looking at today, uh, in these two chapters, you have accounts of the disciples really struggling uh, like the, the, the chapter 8 blind man. Not with physical blindness, but with spiritual blindness. The disciples are, are beginning to grasp who Jesus is, but they cannot seem to grasp the nature of his mission. So time and again, you see them confused. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, in his great confession. And then just verses later, he's rebuked by Jesus because he does not understand what Jesus means when, he's, when he predicts his death. Jesus goes on in that, that, this section of Scripture, chapters 8, 9, and 10, to predict his death three times. And in each instance, the disciples cannot fathom what in the world he is talking about. This idea of the Messiah, whom they identified Jesus as rightly, uh, they can't even understand that the Messiah would die. Now, <clears throat> they are like the blind man in chapter 8. They see a little bit, but it's fuzzy to them. They don't, they don't have a full grasp of who Jesus is and, and what he came to do. And then last week we looked at James and John. Uh, James and John rightly understood that Jesus was a great king and he was setting up a, up a kingdom. 
And so they go to Jesus and ask, hey, we want to sit on your right and your left, and we want to rule with you. But see, they fail to understand that the nature of Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom that is marked by service uh, on behalf of others. They're like that blind man in chapter 8 who partially sees. Now, this healing of Bartimaeus, the last thing that's recorded, is, is the last thing that's recorded before uh, Mark dives into the passion narrative. You see there in chapter 11 that that's the triumphal entry. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. And we have all the events uh, that is surrounding that uh, in the last five chapters. So Jesus enters Jerusalem on his way to the cross in chapter 11. And so here we have the inability of the disciples to understand the nature of Christ's mission sandwiched between these two healings of blind men. And it's as if Mark is saying, our spiritual blindness, like physical blindness, can only be healed by Christ's supernatural intervention. And I would say today that the healing of Bartimaeus serves as a paradigm for conversion to Christianity. It's an opening of the eyes to see. But not only is it uh, a paradigm for conversion to Christianity, but it's also a lesson for Christians in Christian's growth, in Christian growth, because we always have the need to be cured of spiritual blindness like the disciples. We're like the blind men in chapter 8. We're, we're beginning to see. We see, we understand, but we're, we're not fully there yet. And it's a lifelong journey that we're on. So there's something here in this account of Bartimaeus for all of us. The healing of Bartimaeus serves as an example of conversion to and growth in Christianity. So let's dive into these four points that I've given you. First, we see the recognition that is necessary. You'll see there in verse 47 that Bartimaeus is screaming out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Bartimaeus recognizes two things, two facts. One, he is blind, and two, Jesus is someone who can help him. Now, you may say, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, Of course he knows he's blind. He lives with it on a daily basis. He was constantly reminded of it every waking hour he had. And then, of course, here in verse 47 and 48, he's crying out to Jesus for mercy. Now, the people tell him to be quiet. And, and he cries out all the more. He calls out, Jesus, son of David, which is a way of saying that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah was predicted to be of the lineage of David. And so when he uses that term, son of, son of David, he's, he's saying Jesus is the Messiah. And he's crying out to him. Maybe Bartimaeus knew the prophecies in Isaiah that predicted that the Messiah would bring sight to the blind. And that's why he's so excited about meeting Jesus. Maybe he's heard about other blind men who have been healed. Now, this may be an obvious point that, A, he understood that he was blind and he understood that Jesus was someone that could help with that need. But what I want you to see today is what is true of Bartimaeus physically is true for us spiritually. We need to recognize that we have needs spiritually, that we're spiritually blind, lame, sick, and broken. And until we recognize that fact, we will never cry out to Jesus for help. One of the favorite lines of those who would be critical of Christianity has been, oh, Christianity is just a crutch. It's a way for weak people to cope. And we say, yes, yes, it is a crutch. What better thing to have when you recognize that you're crippled? You need a crutch. 
We need a Savior. We need someone to heal us and forgive us and cleanse us and change us. And until we recognize that fact, we will never reach out to Jesus. We are weak and broken. We need help outside of ourselves. And the question is, do you recognize your need for a Savior? Do you recognize your need to be spiritually healed? Some people deny that they are needy. They say, I don't need that. And they, it's like someone who is ill. You know, maybe they have symptoms of sickness. But they say, oh, it's not so serious. And so they never go to the doctor. Uh, some people hide their need for, for healing, for spiritual healing, because they're ashamed. Uh, they, don't, they don't want anyone to know their brokenness and their sin. And so they never come to the Savior to get healed and cleansed. Until you come to that place where you recognize you are in need and cannot help yourself, you will never become a Christian, nor will you progress in the Christian life. When do most people go to the doctor? Well, it's when they finally say, well, something is wrong with me, and I need some help. And taking some aspirin or Advil or Tylenol is not going to do the trick. I need more help than that. I need real medical help. And so you go to the doctor. Healing cannot take place until you recognize you need the medicine. Bartimaeus recognized his need. He cried out to the great physician. And he found healing. Jesus is the great physician of souls. Only he can cleanse you of the disease of sin and heal you of your brokenness. You have to recognize that there's a problem. And then you have to come to him. It's that simple. So that's the recognition that we all must have. And we need to continue to recognize that as we grow in the Christian life. We never arrive. And we're always trying to get over our brokenness and sinfulness. But secondly, we see this request that will be given. Uh, Bartimaeus cries out for mercy. I want to highlight what he's crying out for. Now, the first time that I read this, after having uh, preached last week on the previous several verses, uh, the account of James and John that I mentioned earlier, where they come to Jesus, and uh, they're kind of like a a child that comes and says to a parent, uh, I want you to say yes to what I'm about to ask you. If anybody ever comes up and says, especially a child, says, I want you to say yes to what I'm about to ask you, you better be on your guard uh, because they're going to ask something that they know they can't have. James and John come to Jesus and they basically say the same thing. Uh, Jesus, we want you to give us whatever we ask. So they're asking for a blank check, basically. And I remembered when I had studied that, what Jesus says to them is exactly the same thing that Jesus says to Bartimaeus here. What do you want me to do for you? And I think that Mark is telling the story in a, in a way to, com- to make us compare the two, to make us compare the two requests. What were James and John uh, after when they came to Jesus and asked him to sit at his right and his left? Well, they were looking for power and prestige and glory. They were asking Jesus for a favor. They were wanting to cash in on their association with Jesus. Bless me, Jesus, so I can rule. Give me power so I can can have what I want. Bartimaeus 
in complete opposite spirit, comes to Jesus and just asks for mercy, his sight. He recognizes his deficiency. He seeks for mercy. Now look at that quote that's on the front uh, panel of your bulletin from Paul Tripp. He says, in reference to Jesus, the king, the king came not to make our agenda possible, but to draw us into something more amazing, glorious, and wonderful than we could ever imagine. The kingdom is about God radically changing people, but not in the self-absorbed sense our culture assumes. Christ came to break our allegiance to such an atrophied agenda and call us to the one goal worth living for. His kingdom is about the display of His glory and people who are holy. This is the change He came, lived, died, and rose to produce. This is the life and work He offers us in exchange for the temporary glories we would otherwise pursue. This kingdom agenda is intended to control our hearts and transform our lives. What are you seeking from the Lord today? Your own agenda? Uh, Do you want God to bless you in certain ways? Is that why you're seeking the Lord? Or are you seeking mercy? When you have an agenda, you're just using the Lord to get what you really want. And it's a form of idolatry. You're just just, uh, calling on Jesus to be the middleman, to give you what your heart really desires. Uh, The blessing instead of the blessor is who you're worshiping. So it's very important that we understand what we're actually seeking when we're seeking the Lord. Are we seeking Him or are we seeking the stuff that He can give us? There's a difference there. When you come asking for mercy like Bartimaeus did, you are dropping your agenda and you're putting your life in Jesus' hands. You're saying, uh, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Uh, I just want your mercy. I just put myself in your hands. And when you come to Jesus that way, He will always hear that prayer. John six thirty seven says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Uh, a friend of mine who was an elder in the church that I planted in England, this verse was very important to him. Uh, when he was a young man, he had been raised in the church. Uh, but he had no assurance of his salvation and wasn't sure where he stood with the Lord. So he went to see the pastor. And the pastor uh, encouraged him in his faith and shared that verse with him. Whoever calls upon me, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And he was assured that if he came to the Lord, uh, as he was, with all of his brokenness and sin, that the Lord would indeed welcome him and bring him into his family cleanse him, and, and have him as forever as his son. Uh, Stephen always brought that verse up and was eager to share it with anybody because it meant so much to him. And it should mean something to all of us that the Lord would invite us in, uh, broken, sin-sick people who need a Savior. He's there for us. And mercy is a request the Lord will answer. We heard it earlier, uh, Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The word steadfast love there is actually the word uh, for mercy. And the word for mercy that is translated in this translation is actually the word 
compassion. So all these words are true of the Lord. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. Uh, He has steadfast love for us. And anyone who comes to him and asks for mercy, they will receive mercy. Now thirdly, we see the redemption that is provided. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus saves this man and he says something very interesting. He says, go your way, your faith has made you well. Uh, in the original language, it's literally, go, you, go your way, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. And what he's saying to Bartimaeus is not uh, your faith has saved you in the sense that you had enough faith, uh, you whipped it up inside and you convinced yourself and therefore you're saved. No, he says, because you put your life in my hands, you have been healed and saved. See, the, the key to faith is not how much of it you have, it's the object of your faith. The best example I can give is the, the children of Israel, when they crossed the Red Sea, you know, Moses parted the water, and you've got about a million people going through on dry land, and there's walls of water on either side. And they went from certain death over to, to life because the Egyptian army was right there and was about to destroy them. And they went across from certain death into life. And you can just imagine some of the people on the way across. Some of them are looking at the walls going, wow, this is really cool. I can't, you know, God is awesome. And, and I'm really uh, just so glad that he's on our side and I love him and he's, he's saving us. And they went with confidence across there. And then others looked at that wall of water and said, oh my goodness, that, that's going to come and fall down on me and uh, I don't know if I'm going to survive and I'm scared to death. But all of them went from death to life. Some with confidence, some with great fear. But see, the important thing was that they were trusting in the Lord. God told them to go across and they obeyed. They listened to Him. They put their life in His hands. So the key is the object of faith. Bartimaeus put his faith in the Lord. He said, you are someone who can save me. You are someone who can have mercy on me. So he put his life in Jesus' hands. The great illustration for this that uh, is very classic is the chair illustration. If you're standing up like I am, uh, I am resting in my legs. I am trusting them to hold me up. When you sit down, you're transferring your trust to, say, a chair. And you're putting yourself in the chair's hands, as it were. And it's holding you up. So you're transferring your trust. Now, if you think about Bartimaeus, the object is most important. Bartimaeus could have walked up to a camel. And he could have said, camel, have mercy on me. But I'm pretty sure that nothing would have happened. The camel would not heal him. The the camel is not God. So he would have been choosing a poor object for faith. Now the question we have before us today is, what is your faith in? What are you trusting in? What is the object of your faith? What are you looking to to save you? What are you resting in? 
what are you putting your, what, whose hands are you putting your life in? Because everybody has faith in something. Maybe yourself. It may be someone else. It may be your works. It may be your great performance. Something. Even atheists have faith in something because they have to believe uh, that there is no God. They have to believe that the world was, that came into existence uh, you know, without any proof whatsoever that it just exploded into existence, or that matter is eternal, that it's always been here. See, that requires just as much faith because there's no proof of that. It's a faith commitment. So everybody has faith in something. What is your faith in? Bartimaeus put his faith in the right object. He put his life in Jesus' hands, and he was saved. And that's the only way we can be saved as well, putting our life in Jesus Christ's hands, the only Savior. Now, finally, we've seen the recognition that's necessary to see ourselves as we truly are, to see Christ as someone who can save us. If we cry out to mercy, we know that we will, be, we will be heard and healed. And Christ does something more than just heal our blindness. He saves us and redeems us. Now, what is the response to that? If you see Bartimaeus, uh, you know, first of all, he jumps up. It's beautifully uh, told the story when they say Bartimaeus, you know, cheer up! Uh, you're, you're, he's stopped. He wants to talk to you. It says that he flung off his coat and he sprang up and ran to Jesus. Uh, he didn't just slowly get up. He was excited to get up. He was excited to come to the Lord. And some people, some commentators, would say him leaving behind his cloak uh, was a sign that he's leaving behind begging. Uh, because he would have spread his cloak out, and uh, that's where people would have thrown money. And that's how he would have collected the money that he was begging for. But I think it, it simply means that he, he just wanted to be unimpeded to run to Jesus. And then when he's healed, when, when Christ says, your, your faith has saved you, uh, it tells us that he followed Jesus on the way. Now that word way is actually in the text uh, three times in these few verses in our English translation. It only says it once. But the, the word way is interesting because later the disciples, Christians, are called followers of the way. And Bartimaeus, his life was changed. He was healed and he followed Jesus. How do we know that we've received mercy? How do we know that, that we are indeed uh, being healed of our spiritual blindness. Well, how do we know that Jesus has touched us with his power? A changed life. Bartimaeus had a changed life. So the response that follows salvation and healing by Christ is a life of following Jesus. And it makes sense. That's what faith is. You're putting your life in Jesus' hands, and it's something we continuously do every day. We're saying, Lord you're the boss. Uh, you're in the driver's seat. You know, there's, there's some tags and bumper stickers out there that says, God is my co-pilot. I think that's so awful. And I hope nobody has that tag on their car. And I'm sorry if I've insulted you. But, you know, God is not our co-pilot. Like, he's coming along to assist us as we drive our lives. To be a Christian means God is the pilot. And uh, he's allowing you to sit in the back of the plane in coach class. 
he, he loves us more than that, I'm sure, to, to give us, put us in the back of the plane. But he's included us on the plane, but he's driving the plane. He's flying the plane. He's driving the car. Uh, he is the pilot of your life. And that, that is an indicator that indeed you have been touched by his power. When you put your life in his hands and you experience what he can only give, uh, it makes you want to serve him, want to follow him, want to obey him. That's the mark. That's the response that should follow a healing of spiritual blindness. Now, there's plenty of evidence about who Jesus is. His ministry uh, in the book of Mark, as we see, if we've been looking at over the uh, last couple of months, uh, we can't plead ignorance to that. We've seen it. We are answerable for our response to him. And those who do not cry out to him for mercy, well, they will be justly judged. But nobody will understand unless Jesus opens your eyes. We need him to open our eyes. The only way out of judgment is by God's gracious intervention, just like the only way that Bartimaeus could be healed was by Jesus' intervention. Now back to Theodore Roosevelt. <clears throat> he continues, you know, he, he had his gun, uh, he his friends were shooting at things he couldn't even see, and they read this billboard, and he couldn't even see the letters on the billboard. And here's how he speaks about that experience of actually getting the glasses for the first time when he was 13 years old. He said, I had no idea how beautiful the world was until I got those spectacles. I had been a clumsy and awkward little boy, and while much of my clumsiness and awkwardness was doubtless due to general characteristics... A good deal of it was due to the fact that I could not see and yet was wholly ignorant that I was not seeing. What a sad place to be, to not know that you're blind. But he had gotten that knowledge and that understanding and it made a complete difference in his life when he got help for his problem. My mother-in-law had the same experience. She got glasses when she was a little girl. And she remembers the first time that she saw that there were tr leaves on trees. And she couldn't even see the leaves. It was all fuzzy to her. Spiritually speaking, same thing for us. We need the Lord to heal us of our blindness and to give us clear sight so that we can see. But first we have to recognize that there's a problem and that we need him to cure our spiritual blindness. Cry to him. Put your life in his hands. He, cry to him for mercy. And he will surely give it. He will not cast us to the side. Let's pray together.